Welcome to the Cyber Firefight Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Tarrin, the Deputy CISO at Fortinet and author of the book, Fight Fire with Fire, Proactive Cybersecurity Strategies for Today's Leaders. In this Cybersecurity Perspectives podcast, we will talk with a different cybersecurity expert from the book in each episode and discuss valuable perspectives and important takeaways from their individual chapter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast of the Cyber Firefight. Um, today, I'll be talking with my good friend and colleague, Anne-Marie Zettemoyer, VP Security Engineering at MasterCard. And today we're going to be talking about her chapter in the book, Fight Fire with Fire, Proactive Cybersecurity Strategies for Today's Leaders. And her chapter is going to be Security by Design, Strategies for a Shift Left Culture. But before we jump into it, first of all, welcome, Anne-Marie, and thank you for being a contributor to the book. Thanks for having me. That was fun. So before we jumped into your chapter, because I know there's a lot of good information in your chapter um, about that shift left culture um, and secure engineering. But before we dive into that, I first I was hoping that you could really start off by telling our listeners um, a little bit about your background and how you came into the cyber field. Sure. Well, I sort of have a neandering background, <laughs> as many of us do here in security. Uh, I've been in eight industries over the past 24 years. And the first decade of my career was rooted in business. So I've, I've held every business role there is. I was a controller, an auditor, um, a strategist, a consultant, all kinds of things. And then um, fell in love with security about 14 years ago and was recruited into the Secret Service out of my MBA from that and have been here ever since. So. Yep, it's amazing. We all come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, but um, we all bring value into uh, that environment. Because again, our diverse backgrounds really help us, especially in today's environment where, you know, the the role of you know the technologists are is really moving towards more of a strategist in in the cyber field. Well, I think it's actually really important, right? I mean, nobody can be everything. And so you need the collective minds together and the collective experiences together to really be a business enabler. And frankly, understanding the business, right, is one of the key ways to do that. <laughs> you know, if you're going to build something that's sustainable, having um, that lens to be a true business enabler, right? How do we design security to fit the business to to operationalize for them so that they can go fast, so that they can achieve the, you know, what they want to be and what they want to do, I think is the whole point of security, right? We're, we're a risk equation, but we're there to help, you know, like the Sherpa <laughs> Absolutely. The get to where they want to be. All right. So let's dive into the, some of the meat of your chapter. So you know, having been on the development side myself and now also on the security side, you know, from your perspective, why are the development teams and security teams and, you know, compliance teams often at odds with each other? Well, I think, you know, I find this pattern. It's one of the, what, again, one of the things that I think is great about having a very diverse background is that you can pull out patterns across different topics, right? And it's not unique to just the three dynamics that you mentioned. If, if an organization or a group of people cannot relate to another group of people, then they start to close themselves off to it. And in engineering, as you know, there was very little investment in the education of security, right, for engineers up until now. 
Now we're getting a little bit better with the curriculums, right? Where we've done a lot of lobbying to make sure that as we learn how to build products, we, we put security first, but there's a lot of catch up for that. And I think from the engineering side, you know, we have a lot of ones and zeros. The code works or it doesn't, it breaks or it doesn't break. It's prints hello world or it doesn't. There's a lot of, of binary pieces there, a lot of evidence to see if something is working. Wherein security, which is a risk function, um, you know, there's a lot of what ifs. So inherently, you're going to have to work really hard to translate to each other. One, to, to get not just empathy for each side, but understanding on each side. And that takes, um, that's a skill set in, in and of itself that has to be learned, right? For each practitioner to have that sort of curiosity and connectivity to want to under, understand the other side and explain. So why is there friction? Well, because humans are going to generally, <laughs> you know, are some of their experiences, right? And so they're, they're going to think a certain way. So if you, if you um, don't have conversations with, with people with multiple types of views, then you're just going to subject yourself to confirmation bias. And you're just going to want to, you know, go down one road and solidify that one view, that deep and narrow view. Whereas you start relating to each other, you can build that bridge and start breaking down some of those barriers. Does that make sense? I mean, every field is going to, that, that feels like they're experts in one area is going to focus on their own craft until you start building that curiosity and that humility into the process um, where you start connecting ideas with each other instead of against each other. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. It also comes down to, you know, traditionally, you know, each of those teams have, you know, different objectives, different motivations, you know, development teams are really focusing on productivity and getting, you know, um, their, their applications and systems out delivered as quickly as human possible. And sometimes they look at the security and compliance teams as something that's just going to another checkbox that's just going to slow them down in, in accomplishing that goal. Um, well, yeah, so you know, that's, that's a good point. I, I think, but see, that's the perspective. I don't think they have dissimilar goals. I think they have dissimilar perspectives on how to achieve those goals, right? And I think a good normalization, or at least a good practice, is to you know, state the goals. It isn't just to write X amount of code. You're supposed to build a product, right? You build a product to serve the business. The business wants to get a goal, right? And the engineering team is going to help build that for them. Well, the security team has the same type of goals to enable a business. How are they going to build security and protection and rails to help the engineering team to help the business get to where they go? How is compliance going to structure themselves in order to allow the company to operate where they want to within the rules and the jurisdictions that they're subjected to? Everybody should have that same goal to enable the business. But the, the different pieces to that goal, I think, are not understood by each other. Correct. I, I would agree. And I think it, that's why you look at you, you know, the, the way you've been pushing your comment earlier is that you really have to understand each other's perspectives and really come to the, can, the table in a, with a collaborative spirit um, to, again, to reach that ultimate end goal. Like you said, it should be the same goals. Yeah. Agree. I, I, I love that we're in violent agreement. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get when you get two great minds on a call. 
And so from your perspective, um, you know, you know, what is really considered, you know, secure development and, and, and what does it encompass? Well, I think like most things, it's expanding the conversation, right? We have folks that are really good at their lanes. You know, you, you want to, you want to build and write code. I, I remember having this, this conversation with one of my engineering teams and it's okay. I want the product to do this. I want the service to do that. And, and we were going over what their intended purpose was for the product. And of course, being wired the way that I am and being, you know, their security officer, right. And my security engineers in the room with me, we started to talk about how that could be misused, right. How the unintended uses of that product could come to be and what that might mean. And I remember him looking across the table at me and saying, God, I just does not work like that. I never go there, <laughs> you know, you know, and so secure development is making sure that we're building something that's safe, that we're guarding against those unintended consequences, right, of, of whatever, right, whatever, however we develop it, that we're ensuring that when it's used, it can be trusted, it can be relied upon, it does what we want it to do, and only what we want it to do. And and do our best to guard against the misuse of it or the destruction of it or, you know, the, the threats against it. And we do that from up front. Security by design means that we're taking the smaller investment up front, which is strategic, in order to build that confidence, build that, that loyalty, build that, that stickiness within the product, but also because it just makes financial and strategic sense as well, right? Because you know, as well as I do, that it costs at least nine to 11 times more to fix a vulnerability post-protection than it does to find it along the way. And that does not include, you know, should you have an incident, should you have a breach, should you have a destructive attempt? So secure development, I think, is the intentional design of a product to be safe and reliable. Yep, absolutely. I think you nailed it. And I think there's a really good point in there that, you know, people really need to, you know, uh, to, to think about is, you know, you're right, you know, finding a vulnerability after the fact, it can be so much more costly and devastating to an organization versus putting the time and resources into it up front to fix any problems versus, you know, after the fact, because in some cases, you know, the damage, you know, from a reputation, brand, and operations, and uh, revenue, you know, could be detrimental versus taking a few extra time to put that uh, extra security look into it up front. Well, and I think it's also, you know, I think it's also having having that bench of support, having that advisor in your corner, and I'm talking about security to help you decide what's what's important, what's not, because you're not going to catch everything. You're going to be in situations where you're not going to be able to fix everything on a certain amount of time, right? You're going to have to take some risks and you want to make sure that you have folks in your corner with you along the journey, whose job it is to assess those things and point those things out and make sure that we have contingency plans so that you know what risks you can take, right? And that you can take them confidently. So, you know, you might find a hundred volts, a hundred flaws, right? You might not be able to fix all the time. It might not make sense to fix all the time, 
It might be cost prohibitive. It might not be a big deal. Some might be more important than others. There might be, you know, an, you know, an advantage of, of fixing it on the, on the second go. If it's not uh, that big of a deal, it might be wiped out by a new version coming out. Who knows? But you need to have someone with you, right? Whose job it is to be that expert in that area to help make those connections and do that analysis and, and really be up to speed, <laughs> you know, in, in the context of that area to, to guide you on, on what you, what you can and, and, or what you should and shouldn't do. Absolutely. And so you mentioned in your chapter, there are some key components of testing and tools that make security by design much more easier and more successful. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Well, I think, you know, there's practices and there's tools. I think the practices are more important than the tools. Certainly, you're going to have, you know, some code scanning in your IDE. Maybe you have, you know, you're doing SAS or DAS to kind of check the code, basically, to see if it's, if, if it's being written securely, if there's any known uh, software engineering flaws, right? They'll scan for those types of things. You still have to tune it. So that's when we talk about process. You're, you stick any tool in there. It doesn't really matter if it, you know, lights up like a Christmas tree if you can't triage it, right? If you can't tune for false positives, you can't contextualize it. So the process is really important. You can't just rely on scanners alone. And, and of course, they're known for, for a lot of data that, that doesn't uh, necessarily pan out. So you, that process has to be there. That time investment has to be there to tune the tools and look at the alerts. And then aside from that, right, you have the, that human evaluation, right? That guidance from a security engineer or what have you to look at the design, to look at the TADs, to look at the architectural diagrams, right? To, to look at how the product is being positioned within the network, what type of connectivity does it have? So what type of protocols is it using? What type of protections does it have, you know, uh, both internal and external? If it, you know, where is it within the network? That kind of thing. So I really focus a lot on on process. And then, you know, there, depending on what tools you have, that process is going to be important. The tools can accelerate, but they have to go together. They have to go together. I think the, uh, one of the problems that I see with, with many organizations is that they think they can insert tech into anywhere and think that it's going to be the panacea for things. And many times it will cloud your vision because you haven't planned to tune and now you're looking at this sea of alerts you got alert fatigue and it just gets ignored completely so yeah absolutely i think what question. you're getting at is that you know tools can't solve all of your problems no but they're they're part of the process right and you know fundamentally you you to catch it up front you want to have good feedback with the tool that's the other process piece so when you, when you fire off a lot of alerts, and again, regardless of what you're scanning for, right, you, you want to have that feedback loop to the engineer of, okay, here's an alert, here's how it's weak, but how do you contextualize it and how do you fix it afterwards? How do you check to make sure that what they've changed is, is going to work, right, is here afterwards? And that feedback loop will not only, you know, not only tune the tool, but it'll tune the practitioner, right? It'll help teach the engineers and the developers the practice of secure coding 
And there are other things for that too, outside from scanners. There are other tools that I like, I'm not gonna name them, that, that help the security engine, well, help the engineers learn, right? And provide that training and provide that look where they're starting to test each other and test their, I mean, testing your own code is, doesn't work as well because you're emotionally generally connected to it. And so you're not gonna see the flaws that you will in your peers code, <laughs> you know? And but, don't, don't call my baby ugly. That's right. Nobody wants their baby to be called ugly, right? You know, but you know, you'll, you'll spot a flaw in some, something else, right? So that, that goes back to that, that practice, that process, right? That really has to be looked at to, to achieve security by design. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, you know we, we've talked a lot about, yeah, tools are important. You know, the, the people definitely have to have to play a role because there's a lot sometimes some inter, human um, interpretation that's, that's got to happen in, into those tools. And sometimes you get false positives from some of those tools. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so if you were to give advice to an organization that's really wanting to beef up, you know, their development practice and really emphasizing secure development, you know, what would be some of those processes that you think that they should, you know, really start focusing on and, and getting them implemented and getting them implemented well within their organizations? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that the investment in buy-in and curiosity and really defining an engineer as a secure engineer is going to be key. And what do I mean about that? Like, you don't want to just rush to, hey, I'm going to just shove this you know, this uh, code scanner in your environment and you guys are going to deal with it. It's not about getting the business to pay for that, right? Like, you know, name your, I'm not going to name the scanners, but, you know, name your vendor that has whatever, SAS or DAS, whatever you want. That's not the, that's not the, the goal there, right? That's not where you start. First, you might want to take like a small group focus and bring some of those some of those um, high influencer engineers into the conversation and talk about why you think it's important, right? To help them evaluate how do we fix this problem together? And then you can start testing tools together and you can start looking at, well, here are the holes that we have in the process and start sharing the data with them. I believe, you know, you know me very well, Renee, you know that I sit at that intersection of business analytics and security. And I think data the analytics part can really normalize conversations for people and level set for them. So start bringing them through that data that you've seen, right? That, hey, we keep getting cross-site scripting. There's a reason why it's, you know, one of the number one, the number one flaws on the OWASP top 10 for years, forever. I can't remember when it wasn't, right? And how many times is that is that coming up in our environment? over and over and over again, how do we solve it, right? And start bringing them into that conversation instead of talking at them. I think a lot of times it's looked as though you mentioned that security could be the land of no, compliance could be the land of low roadblocks is because we tend to talk at instead of talk with, when really our job is to talk with, to paint the picture and help solve together. Right. And if you can build some of those bridges up front first, instead of saying, this is the problem, here's how you're going to fix it. And you're going to fall in line and you're going to pay for it too. Well, I mean, we've all seen that try to be played out before, Renee, and it never works long term. 
and hardly ever work short term. And the reason why I emphasize this is because we just, we tend to leap towards that a lot, even though we know it doesn't work, <laughs> right? You got, you've got to, peop, you've got to bring the people along with, you. you've got to partner with them. The tools are the, the easiest part to sell. It's the process that has to be sold, the cooperation that has to be sold first before you buy a tool. Yep, and you I, can I, do that with data, you know? Yeah, you I, absolutely. And I think it, it, it leads the shows. So it's kind of like what the kind of book has been stressing about. It's that you need people processes and technology, especially, you know, in secure development, it's, it, that's no different. Um, but you're right. It, it starts with getting the people to understanding, you know, why security and compliance are there and, and being seen as an enabler that they're there to help you not make your life more miserable. Well, you know, what's funny about compliance is that they, they get a bad rap a lot, as you mentioned. And you'll get a ton of people that say, oh, compliance is not security. You're right. It's not the end of security, but usually it's the start. It's the compelling to begin an investment. It's the have to before, you know, you get up that hierarchy, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs right, in the security world. And so they're a good partner for you. And here's the reality. If you don't hit compliance, you could be shut down in a market. How is that going to achieve your business goals? If that government of a market says, no, you cannot transact here or no, you cannot do business here because you have not complied. And that is a macro trend that is coming out. The engineers aren't keeping an eye on that. They're not thinking about that. But if their business line gets shut down because they haven't followed the proper protocols in the market, well, that's a failure for everybody, you know? And a lot of times, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat with engineering teams and they said, look, we just want to know what to do. Just tell us what we have to do. What are the rules of engagement? And you know, compliance are the rules of engagement for a business to operate in a jurisdiction. And that's the reality of it, right? But if we're not painting that picture, if we're not showing them what that means, then it can look like, we're, you know, we're just being sort of nitpicky on stuff, right? Or hardlining stuff if we don't explain the why. Yep, absolutely. So again, we always say, you know, it, it's, it, it takes a team. It's a, it's a team, team effort when it comes to being part of the security. That's right. It's a team. <laughs> Love that team. All right. So Get matching shirts. Absolutely. You know, that's right. That's what I like coordinate. So as we go into, we're now almost what, at the end of February. So we're almost two months into 2022. So is there any other pieces of advice you would give to cyber leaders as we head into this next year? Pace yourself. Look, have a sense of humor or take yourself so seriously. You know, I think we, we say a lot uh, that we want to experiment. If you're, if you're in this, in this, uh, industry, you know how stressful it is. Log4j was stressful. That's not going to be the end of it. But pace yourself. Find a way to take care of yourself. Find a way to enable your teams to, to step up into, um, into different roles so that everybody remains healthy because you're needed. And there are going to be times where you're just going to feel like, you know, life is getting kicked out of you. So, so if, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself, then you're not going to be able to lead. And if you're not taking care of yourself, then your people won't either. So pace yourself, find a way to laugh every day, find a group to connect with, 
right? To kind of vent the, the frustrations and, and sharpen yourself, get involved in the community, listen to things that enrich you, eat the carbs, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> and, fi- you know, and fi- fi- find a way, you know, to, uh, to protect yourself as you protect others. Absolutely. Amory, that is some great advice that all of us need to take some time and, and reflect on to make sure that, you know, we're taking the time to take care of ourselves, our families, and making sure we maintain that work-life balance. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So Amory, I want to thank you for your time today and being, um, again, a forward-leaning, um, insightful cyber leader in our industry. And thank you, uh, so much for being a contributor to Fight Fire with Fire Proactive Cybersecurity Strategies for today's leaders. Well, thanks for having me be a part of it. I appreciate you. If you want more information on Fight Fire with Fire, go to our blog at ftnt.net slash cyber firefight. <laughs>